Hey everybody, welcome back to Grey Malkin Lane Patreon. We uh, are having a ton of fun on these episodes. Uh, our last episode featured an exploration of the character Fred Duncan with my friend Seth Martell. It was surprisingly dense uh, given that weird character. Uh, today I am thrilled to examine a character for whom I've never given any thought at all but who I now love, <laughs> and that is the character Grotesque, uh, and I am uh, I'm thrilled to be joined by my podcast friend Steve Duda. Hi Steve, how are you? Hello, uh, I'm good. I'm doing well actually. Today's been a really nice day. We are recording this on Monday, August 15th. Uh, what is happening in your world today, my friend? Um, I worked a shift at my job. Uh, it's long and complicated, but I like what I do, generally speaking, and today was not agonizing, so that was pretty uh, cool. If you're, willing, if you're willing to share, and you don't have to, what do you do for work? Um, well, I just, I, I work for a company that is like a logistics company, so generally what I do is we get electronics in and I make them work again, or try to figure out a way to make it cost-effective to make the electronics work again if we can't. Sure, sure. It's kind of like a weird nebulous job, but it just involves me refurbishing, remanufacturing, repairing electronics all day and uh, thinking about better ways to do that, which is what I like. That's wonderful. Uh, that takes a special type of skill set that I lack. I, uh, I can barely put two Legos together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you would have hated what I had to do today. I had to take 40 screws out of a thing like three or four times. Oh, Next time I build Ikea furniture, I will bring you over and pay you to help me. <laughs> oh, I would love that. I actually I actually really enjoy building Ikea furniture. It is like putting together Legos, which were my favorite toy as a child. Should not surprise it makes, you. It makes me so mad. It's like the instructions will like completely disregard what the pieces actually look like. There's always something, oh, I hate it. I always screw up. I turn something upside down and put the screws in the wrong place. And then it's all fucking screwed up. It makes me crazy. Like. <laughs> top of my list of things that are my pet peeves is assembling furniture. I hate it. And now you can read those instructions, generally speaking. I actually had to put something together at work recently that had only Japanese instructions and pictures. Whoa. So I had to go by the picture and it still came out wrong because the picture was flipped. And I was just like, Fuck, come I on. It. <laughs> <laughs> I took my children a few hours ago. Uh, we're going to FlameCon in a couple of days, which I, uh, when I release this episode, FlameCon will be over, which is uh, crazy. But uh, uh, I had to pick up some business cards for the podcast and a few prints. And uh, we were at the the like FedEx print shop and the the pie pizzeria next door walked in with like a stack of pizzas uh, and they just gave them to the employees. And they said someone had just made like a thousand dollar order but they paid for it, but then they couldn't, they canceled the order. So they just had all like this giant massive amount of pizza that they were just gonna have to throw away. So the guy turns to me and he's like, would you like a pizza to take home for you and your kids? And I never eat pizza. Like, I'm just not that person. I'm a pretty right. health foodie kind of guy. And I'm like, yeah, we'll take a pizza. If you've got like a pepperoni, great. I'm, I'm vegetarian, but the whole family eats. And so I thought they would bring me a, like a small pizza. And it was like industrial family size. Like no joke, you can't see me on the camera those that are listening, but like my arms all the way around like a beach ball size pizza. Like, Chad is describing maybe a three foot pizza. It was crazy. I invited like four friends over. I'm like, I'm going back to work, but I'll leave the door unlocked. Come and take as much pizza as you like. And after four people and my family of four, eight, there were still like, like 20% of the pizza left, which is like another <laughs> nine slices. I'm like, holy shit. But we got it for free. It was like a $60 pizza or something. It was crazy. That That's was a true. fun part of my day. But we're all like, oh, tummy ache now. I wish I didn't live so far from you because if you ever had a three foot pizza, I could help you get rid of half of that in no time. <laughs> That is quite impressive because you are a very slender individual. <laughs> I am, but it would shock you how many pizzas I have eaten in just the last five days. <laughs> I'm in my 40s now. And as I get older, things like pizza just don't, I just, I can't anymore. I'm, uh, my, my old man body is like, nope, we will not do what you did in your 20s. Like a bowl of cereal or a slice of pizza. And I'm like, oh, I can't. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I tried. I wanted to start eating healthier. Um, I recently hit 30 and, you know, I want to be a little more health conscious going forward. Um, my knees are already very bad. Um, but 
I also at the same time started getting more into my family's like ancestral foods, you know, the stuff that my father's 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 taught them how to cook and stuff like that. And unfortunately, we're Lithuanian, so it's extremely unhealthy. It's just like all potatoes, <laughs> sour cream and bacon. I uh, when I was 30, I was still closeted. I was extraordinarily depressed and I was about 90 pounds heavier than I am now. I was a pretty big boy. Uh, and I'm all about body positivity, but for me, it was, I was not healthy. I was not emotionally well. Uh, and then I started losing weight and I dropped 90 pounds. And right after I lost my weight, I went to my family reunion where there's like 200 people I'm related to. And there's this food table set up, it's like a banquet. And it was like four folding tables full of like fried, carby, everything, fried chicken, pizza, like potatoes that were fried four times like just over and over and uh, and and at the very end of the table there was one bowl of salad I'm not joking it was like a whole table of desserts and one <laughs> bowl of salad and I was like no wonder I emotionally ate when I was closeted like no wonder <laughs> yeah that sounds that sounds about right uh let me guess the salad was either a spring salad or like literally a chicken Caesar salad with no chicken and nothing, nothing but Parmesan. It was like, Caesar. it was like a, a iceberg lettuce out of a bag, like <laughs> from the grocery store poured in a bowl, like someone stopped on their way. It was an afterthought. We're camping, like our family reunions are in like remote wilderness where like the nearest grocery store is a 50 minute drive kind of place. <laughs> Great place to be closeted. <laughs> Yeah, uh, well, that's just where our family reunions are. Like, I grew yeah. up in the city, but where, where we go to the reunions, it's like remote wilderness. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, long, long story that have nothing to do with our episode today. Uh, so we were talking about episodes, and you're one of my friends from the pod, Steve, that uh, we could choose any character and have a great time on. Uh, but you and I selected the character uh, Grotesque. Uh, G-R-O-T-E-S-K. The K makes it evil. There's no Q-U-E at the end. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to presume you were not very familiar with this character prior to our research. Uh, what, what's your experience no. with this character prior to today or prior to uh, preparation for this episode? So funny because I have, I, I read every appearance of Grotesque, which I love that you pronounce it that way because it's like by parallel with Gortok, but um, <laughs> I had, I had, when you said grotesque, I was like, I don't know who that is. I have no idea who that is. I kept racking my brains. And then I went back and I went through every single appearance and I've actually read most of these before. <laughs> Just a character that did not stick with me the first time. Like he has so many, and I'm sure we'll get into it, but he has so many really important appearances, like mm -hmm. really important appearances. He's present when Charles Xavier fakes his death for the first time. Like that's that's something everybody knows, but they don't know the name Gortok or Grotesque. He's present for the issue in which Women's Magazine publishes its first issue with Captain Marvel on the cover. A huge accomplishment for Captain Marvel and Chris Claremont. He is the, uh, he is the final instigator in the subterranean war. <laughs> yeah, that was, that's wild because I remember reading that. I loved reading that period of annuals when I was a kid because that's like I went to Wizard World all the time and I didn't have the kind of money that I could like pull out a ton of, you know, old Avengers issues. So every once in a while I'd pick out an, an annual and then I'd get a lot of story for, you know, a little bit of money and you could get sequential annuals that all came out in the same month and get a complete story like Atlantis Attacks or this one, Subterranean Wars. I didn't remember grotesque at all, but on reading it, he's like the most interesting part of it. Mm -hmm. And then, of mm -hmm. course, Manifest Destiny Nightcrawler, which I read while I was going through every single Nightcrawler appearance at one but point. That's his, that's his most forgettable, though. He's like two pages. Uh, he's literally as a, forgotten. Almost yeah. as a joke villain. But we'll, we'll talk about what that means. He, uh, he appeared in the X-Men when Roy Thomas was doing some kind of experimental stuff, kind of trying to change things around. The characters were all getting like individual focuses. The logo was like the X-Men featuring Angel, right? Like that, that yeah. uh, right before Grotesque was introduced, they fought the alien Frankenstein's monster. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I did not who, remember that. It was weirdly, it came up in the issue. Who weirdly people remember more than Grotesque, despite the fact that that's a character that's only shown up once. Uh, when we came across him on my podcast reviews, when we did these episodes, uh, I was like, oh, this guy actually has a very sad story. And he's the guy that killed Xavier. Like, why do we not remember him? 
but he's kind of like Lucifer, who's the man that paralyzed Xavier, and nobody gives him a second thought, right? We did a Patreon yeah. episode with Derek Henskin on uh, on Lucifer, so go listen if you haven't. It's fun. Uh, but uh, describe grotesque to me for uh, like in his first appearance. We we called him like drag queen Wendigo when we were doing our <laughs> review. <laughs> oh, that's that's really accurate. That is so good. I it's mean, weirdly accurate, right? He's he's a character who presents as like a person with albinism, um, but a person who is like a Neanderthal or some kind of like large hulking. Honestly, he's closer to Frankenstein's monster than the actual X-Men character Frankenstein is in some ways. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's giant. As, I think he's like nine feet tall or something. I looked it up and he apparently gets taller over time, at least according to what people say. Beast calls him six foot five. Later, he's described as seven feet tall. And eventually with the mystic armor, I am assured by the Marvel database that he is somewhat around like 10 feet tall. <laughs> like he's a, he's a big dude, kind of like hulky. He really does look a lot like Wendigo to me. Shaggy, like crazy intense mane of hair, which I challenged Steve to come with that hair today. And clearly you did not get the assignment. I did not. I was not able to. I took a shower right before this because I had a long hot day at work and my hair would not do it. It's too heavy. It's, my <laughs> Listeners, my hair is very long. Um, it would not do it. Uh, and the only way I could possibly approximate the eyes would be to smoke a ton of weed right before getting on the call. And I did not think that was conducive to talking. Your, uh, your hair is amazing. Uh, so Grotesque is this giant muscly guy. He's kind of hot in a weird, you know, subterranean monster kind of way. Uh, I feel like he would do very well at like Folsom or Market Days. Uh, yeah, that harness. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yep. He, he he's kind of doing it for me in a few of his appearances. Uh, describe his costume for me. Okay, so his costume is like really variable, but it always has some like really distinct elements to it, excepting that final appearance in Manifest Destiny. Yeah, yeah. You know, he, weird. he wears he wears a sort of strappy harness over his shoulders and chest that has like red circles on it that, you know, I mean they're maybe rubies, maybe mystical armor. I don't know what it is. Um, a little bit of like a Kirby-esque loincloth thing going on sometimes. Sometimes it's more like pants. And he's got the most distinguishing feature is that he either has pale white or extremely yellow skin and very large distorted red eyes. Yeah. Um, well, also like the eyes come across as, the, the eyes come across as pink sometimes. Uh his in his initial appearance at least, his loincloth is like feathered leaf like briefs with like a giant orange belt with like uh, a hangy downy like material that goes like down between his legs. So it's like a loincloth on top of briefs and it's like orange on pink and his his like belt insignia is kind of iconic. I don't know that it's associated with any other character. You also learn shortly like after his first appearance, those like those circles on his harness are actually weapons that he uses. Yeah, uh, that's, he can... that shocked me, honestly, that he, he pulls <laughs> off what are, what are called his harness studs in the story. And they're like things like smoke bombs and things that can, apparently they are ruby quartz because they can reflect Cyclops's optic optic blasts back at him which is absolutely wild to me because he catches them in his hands he's he's quite a ninja warrior yeah he looks like a hulk villain uh more than an ex-villain but he's kind of iconic like no one else looks like him which already mm -hmm. makes him stand out so we first meet grotesque in x-men number 41 it carries into 42 and this is the death of xavier story but it's really the death of the changeling and we learn way later in like x-men i think it's 65 the changeling who was this villain with factor three has come to Professor X and said, I have cancer. I want to do something worthwhile. And Professor X is like, you should pose as me so I can go hide in the basement and prepare for an alien invasion. And so uh, he somehow transfers some of his telepathy to Changeling, who is now posing as Professor X. And uh, this is the story where he dies and is buried in Professor X's grave in Professor X's form and has never gotten justice after that. Literally the episode after this one that I'm doing for Patreon is about Changeling. So we'll, we'll talk about him more next time, but this is the story. Uh, Grotesque shows up when the X-Men are, uh, well, some of the X-Men are riding the subway with their girlfriends and the lights go out because this massive monster has like blasted through the wall uh, he uh, doesn't even know what a subway is, I'm presuming, 
Uh, but he just kind of bats it aside. There's a bunch of civilians in there. And Beast and Iceman run away from their girlfriends because they're assholes. Uh, see the Vera Cantor episode for more on that conversation. <laughs> and uh, they attack this monster and Beast yells, he is so unbelievably grotesque. To which the monster replies, he, Beast spells it right with a Q-U-E. The monster hears G-R-O-T-E-S-K. He goes, grotesque? Yes, let that be my name. For that which I was, I am no more. Uh, what are your thoughts on this little moment where Grotesque decides to take his name? It's wild. When I was when I was reading it at the time, I like gasped. I guessed a lot during re- rereading this because I, the first time I read these issues, I did not have the wealth of knowledge I have about the X Men now, and so sure. there was some like really shocking stuff. Like realizing that Professor Xavier was dying in this issue absolutely blew my mind, and I gasped out loud at the comic because I was like, oh, this is what it happens. But like. When he, when Beast shouts his name and Grotesque is like, oh, I've just heard an adjective describing me. I shall take that as my own name. He clearly doesn't know who he is at the time. And he has, he has some form of amnesia, but it goes away really quickly, right? Like he very quickly in the ensuing pages realizes who he actually is, but he sticks with the name. He just seems to like it so much. And he has that Shakespearean line delivery of, I am no longer who I was, you know, this is who I am now. It's it's weird because the this this whole very initial appearance is very weird to me because a lot of it makes him less sympathetic than the retcon to later appearances, but also he he doesn't know what the train is despite being a subhuman you'd think he know what a subway was, but he, he's so confused by everything around him and he hears this name and he takes it for himself but the way that he speaks he seems so in control of himself and so eloquent and so like noble and princely which we'll learn later he actually is right but like we're also told repeatedly about how the radiation changed his mind and distorted his body and how he was like completely out of his mind and that's something that's for me really key to this character Mm -hmm. later on like the fact that he is driven insane by the radiation affecting his brain is the thing that keeps him sympathetic in later appearances so uh, this like weird eloquent delivery is so strange here yeah, as you mentioned, there's not a lot of sympathy given for him in those first few issues. They just paint no. him as a monstrous villain who deserves to die, frankly. But the sympathy is there when you read between mm-hmm. the lines. Like, this is a character based in absolute tragedy. And we'll get to that in just a second. I wanted to know, he's really lucky Beast did not jump out of the subway and go, man, this guy, this guy looks like a real asshole. And then he's like, <laughs> oh, that shall be my name. Like, he would have just taken whatever word was tossed at him. Look at this cutie pie. Like, cutie pie, now I will be cutie pie from now on. Uh, (laughs) Grotesque is a better name than what could have been. (laughs) Yeah, that's really funny. I I had not even considered that. I got so caught up in thinking about the weird parallels with Namor, but I can talk about that later. Gortok is is his real name, we'll learn. And Gortok's a great villain name on its own. But when you make him Gortok the Grotesque, he just sounds like a Kirby monster, which uh, I love. Um, So Grotesque goes like staggering through the subway. He's trying to remember his past. And we see in a series of flashbacks, like where this guy comes from. Uh, Steve, do you want to tell us Grotesque's origin story as based in X-Men number 41? All right, as based in his original appearance, I don't like this character as much. Like, there's a lot to be sympathetic here for because he's had a truly tragic time. But also, there's some stuff in this initial appearance that I was like, hey, actually, fuck this guy. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, before you jump into this, let me give a little bit of context. Marvel has all kinds of hidden lands that don't exist in the real world. For, you know, Wakanda, as an example, or Krakoa. Uh, There is a whole, like, under-Earth civilization uh, and a whole underwater civilization, right? Like Namor, like there's, there's people all over this fucking planet. Anyway, there's, there's a many land, underground civilization. There's a land called Subterranea. It's like, uh, there's a whole like series of cities and mountain ranges and tunnels and rivers. Like people live there. This is where you get like characters like the Mole Man and his Moloids or like Tyrannus. There's some weird princess chick whose name is evading my mind right now. Uh, th- but they all have their Solomon? own- no Kala Kala K-A-L-A Kala thank you I think that's her name and all the all the like like Tyrannus and Mole Man are like I want her she shall be my queen uh there's a bunch of old stories and there's also like Mole Man has like like, a whole civilization of monsters who live in Subterranea so in this story we're getting another underground civilization in Subterranea so go go ahead Steve sorry to interject no you're good I'm very grateful for that because I don't have to explain it now um Gortak 
grotesque comes from a civilization people later called the Grotakians. At this time, they're just subhumans, meaning humans from subterranea, you know, people under the ground. Uh, although Gorta Gortak, and I'm getting a little digressy here, but uh, Gortak does actually in this initial appearance say that he's just less than human and that's why he's a subhuman, which I right. thought was very right. funny. I ignoring the pun entirely, Roy Thomas. But <laughs> um, yeah, he comes from a subterranean civilization who have been under the earth for countless eons and they seem much older and much more advanced than modern humans at, to some extent. Um, unfortunately, they their warlike actions in the past had caused volcanic eruptions on the face of the earth. It seems like there's a kind of like a back and forth relationship between violence on the surface of the earth and subterranea that causes explosions and eruptions and earthquakes. And this is quite yes. an advanced race. Like they have battle armor and like weapons yes. of war and like a big like fucking city that they live Futuristic. in. Futuristic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're very similar to like the aliens from Mars in the John Carter series, things Fair. like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're like futuristic barbarian people. Um, and so Gortok's father one day King decides- King Chrono. King Chrono, King Chrono, yes. Gortok's father, King Chrono, the king, decides one day that they gotta go get them some slaves. And so they're gonna go and conquer the earth's surface for slaves because they are an imperial people. Uh, the thing that made me dislike Gortok in his original appearance here. Mm -hmm. But, cause that, unfortunately does kind of undercut the later tragedy a little bit, but not, not, not enough to make you unsympathetic, honestly. So as he's literally about to go and conquer the surface world, something happens and there is a large underground explosion, um, earthquakes, radiation, and it will later turn out that this is due to earth people working on an atomic device that would be, it's like atomic earthquakes. And the scientist who created it doesn't think it's a weapon, but it very clearly is. It's called a, it's called a nuclear oscillatron. And the word oscillatron is like to oscillate or vibrate quickly, right? And this is akin to, I don't know, the scientists who like poison some lake in the mountain or, or, yes. or fucking Chernobyl, right? Like something goes wrong, it like wipes out a space and uh, we didn't mean to. But uh, is, people are affected, species are affected. This is the first of many like direct parallels to Namer the Submariner that occurs. Besides him also being a subterranean or submarine civilization of imperial warlike people who he is the prince of. It's amazing actually how many parallels there are to Namor in this very first appearance, which yeah. got me thinking about the relative levels of sympathy you feel for each character. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so humans detonate this atomic weapon technology that ends up annihilating every single last one of the Gortakians except for Gortak, Prince Gortak II himself and the very including, last person. Including Gortak's like love, the Princess yes. Ingar, which is so sad. She is the very last person to die is Princess Ingar and she dies in his arms and as he watches her die and as the radiation mutates his body and alters his mind beyond recognition, his last thought is to go and get revenge upon the surface world by completely annihilating it and himself. That is the goal. And he's been driven mad. He's been mutated. It's yes. very, I mean, look at what happens to the Hulk when the Gamma takes over. This is almost that, except this guy seems permanently transformed. Sometimes yeah. he's very lucid. Sometimes he's very like insane, but very, very re revenge driven. He's like a one goal and that's it. Yeah. Uh, and if you add a little bit of insanity to it, it adds some some depth or maybe even confusion around it. But if you put if you look at him as the single minded, quote unquote, monster who's determined to avenge his people, we can understand that character automatically. There's uh, mm -hmm. there's versions of that character that exist in other spaces, especially since his whole motivating factor is pollution by humans of his natural habitat without thinking. That's something that is always drawn me to Namor, one of my very favorite characters. He's angry at humans for polluting the ocean, which is his realm, and wants to get them to stop. And Gortok has much the same motivations, which is that humans unthinkingly have been killing all of his people, and he he wants to get his as a, as a result of it, and he doesn't care what happens to him anymore. And this is a war guy by culture, right? You're, he's a mm -hmm. warfare, he's going after people. 
Uh, and what better war to fight than the people who killed you, which happens to be 8 billion people on the surface world, uh, yeah. of whom are superheroes, unfortunately, for Grotesque, because they keep kicking his ass over the years. Uh, I think the big difference between he and Namor, uh, I mean, Namor still has his civilization, primarily, yes. but uh, Namor's of both worlds, right? He has this, like, part of him that is human, that's curious about humanity. Grotesque just wants to fucking smash us. Like, that's, that's all that's there for him. And theoretically, like, not only is Namor a part of both worlds, so he has sympathy for the humans to some extent, but also Namor is somebody who could theoretically retire and go and live in Atlantis. Gortok can't. There's nowhere to go home to. There's no home left. There's no people. There's nothing for him but his revenge. I, uh, I, uh, we'll talk about what we would do with this character at the end, but after reading all his appearances, I love him. I could write a book with him as a member of the team. Like, I would really like that because I, unfortunately Roy Thomas has gone back to the exact same well every single time he has written this character and yeah, it's I, the same story. I think he has a shocking amount of depth. You tell some stories about his childhood and his culture and you like put him in as the desperate man. Well, again, we'll talk about this, but this is a character that has a well of uh, potential, I think. Uh, so grotesque uh, after recounting his origins in his mind rushes to the surface to seek out this nuclear oscillatron he can track it i'm sure it's connected to his mutation somehow he's the sole survivor right uh and he kidnaps a, re a research assistant from this like scientific base and takes him back to uh back to his underground i don't think it's in in gortok the land or whatever he's just back in subterranea somewhere in a cavern uh the uh, the uh, the mutants attack, Cyclops and Beast attack, and he is boasting how he's going to destroy all life on Earth. He fucking throws machines at them. Uh, they set off an explosion. He just like walks out of it. Uh, like uh, grotesque seems like pretty like juggernaut like almost. He's he's pretty unstoppable so here. Yeah, uh, like forced to be reckoned with for sure. He can take on Captain Marvel alone and like actually win. You know, mm -hmm. that's, he's very impressive. Uh, and then there's another earthquake he can sense. And he rushes to the source. Uh, we're in X-Men 42 here. Uh, he finds Professor X, but it's actually Changeling, uh, operating this machine. And he's trying to lure Gotek Grotesque into a trap. Now, this is a bad, bad idea on Changeling's part. We're going to cover this in the episode as well. Changeling wants to do something really noble. So his, his thing that his plan is to like, arm the nuclear device to convince the human the, the bad guy to come to the nuclear device so that he can then stop him but what ends up happening is the villain now has the nuclear device so <laughs> grotesque uh rushes to where the oscillatron is activated uh changeling tries to stop him and the x-men attack and grotesque is just like smashing him around uh, it's kind of a great fight what were some of your favorite moments of this fight this is when grotesque uses his harness studs <laughs> I, I mean my favorite moment is definitely when he takes off his harness studs and like like a jedi deflects cyclops's octic blast just like puts his hand right in the path and deflects it right back at him and also a lot of my favorite part of this is that Beast spends much of the fight just kind of like declaiming to the others, like as if, I've, oh, I've known Court Talk for a long time. You know, I saw him on the subway the other day <laughs> acting like the others need like this, all this like wealth of background information. It's very funny to see Beast be like, oh yeah, yeah, I know all about this guy because I just, I just fought him. Let me tell you all about him. There's also this weird moment where Angel has brought some like solar orbs from the X-Mansion and he's like firing... <laughs> firing light at Gortok as he flies at him and you're like oh <laughs> is that a thing that they do a lot because well, like to be to be completely honest I read that and I was like hmm they're this the solar orbs that Xavier has the ones that I know so much about like I, what, why I does kinda, this come I kind of think that was their only appearance if I'm remembering correctly but it's a funny moment <laughs> it is um so professor x changeling is trying to stop the oscillatron grotesque fucking like twirls angel in the air throws him at the x-men uh, again savage rushes at this machine and he's trying to give it more power to stop it from from being stopped basically but this causes the machine to explode it does not set off the like nuclear armageddon earthquake that he was hoping for but it does kill the changeling who like 
dies in Angel's arms. Angel's like, Professor, we're worried about you. And he's like, shut up, Angel, I'm dying. <laughs> yeah, hey, that's commitment to a role to remember to be an asshole to Angel right before you die. So he still thinks you're Professor X. That's wow, method. And uh, then there's this gorgeous image of like Angel, you know, like the heavenly creature cradling Professor X's body. It's really lovely. And uh, we see like Grotesque's hand uh, in the machinery wreckage. Uh, like, powerful debut for a super powerful character that I kind of want more of. Like, uh, there's a depth to him. We see this with, like, characters like Juggernaut or, like, the Abomination. There's, like, the big strong monster guys, but they have a lot of depth when you give them backstory and motivation. Uh, I love this character, actually. I wish that he had the kind of, like, so, Gortek, Gortok, I'm always like, do I call him grotesque or Gortok? I think it's more polite to call him Gortok. Um, Gortok you, can say both, coming... you can say both Charles and Professor X. It's okay. That's very true. So grotesque Gortok, the second. <laughs> he does keep coming back and he mostly comes back through Roy Thomas. Like, you know, the other writers have touched him, but very, very few, maybe only two, maybe three. And Roy Thomas seems committed to telling the exact same story with grotesque every time. It seems to be a character that he really cares about, but he does keep telling the same kind of plot. And I would love to see somebody do with grotesque what people have done in the modern era with like Blob and Juggernaut during the recent Juggernaut series. I, oh God, I agree I there's write, so much untapped potential. I wanna write a team book with Blob on it too. There's so much I could do with Blob. We did the trial of the Blob and I left with like a deep reverence for this character who is awful, but has so that's, much potential. I love that's one of my favorite episodes of this show. Mm, mm, it's it's really, I left, I was like, Sometimes I will leave episodes that we record and I will like literally plot out like an outline of here's a book that I would write. And sometimes I'll, I'll sit down and write a script for a few hours. Uh, but that, yeah, that blob, the blob and the toad episodes both. Uh, these are like, I love these characters. I want to like make them beloved. Uh, I don't know. Grotesque has that for me too. I love him. He does. I mean, there's, there's just so much to explore because it's, there's a huge backstory there. There's a lot of character that is under the surface and then it is, mostly not explored so yeah um chris claremont's now on the books and he loves any character that he writes uh and never forgets them and uses them again and again uh captain britain psylocke longshot uh uh fucking like Ungarai spider demons spider woman uh, uh misty knight uh, iron fist saber tooth like there's these characters mystique there's these characters uh, a death bird that like debuted in a title that he wrote and then he made yeah. them like huge characters in the x-men uh he does write grotesque in 1977 in his run on miss marvel but unfortunately didn't bring him back into the x-men uh mythos um grotesque's costume is a little bit different there's like a more open chest version uh but he has survived classic he has survived and he's trying to steal something called the cabarite crystal which he fights miss marvel or carol danvers over she's in her uh like red panties blue harness short hair phase here <laughs> yeah you had the colors a little reversed and i only remember because when i was reading this comic i straight up out loud said wow she really is out here fighting in her panties i had no idea i've never read this volume one of miss marvel before or captain marvel ms marvel at the time uh, uh but like yeah chris I, it's not his fault necessarily maybe <laughs> but holy cow what Jeez, is uh what is grotesque's mission in this story why is he going after the cavorite crystal he's going after the cavorite crystal because it's another attempt to create an omni genocide of the world and perish myself in the holocaust as he is so fond of saying that's almost his catchphrase actually um I think, I mean, he may only say it in the Claremont era because that's uh, the kind of thing Chris Claremont would write, but uh, he says it many times, enough that it's stuck in my memory. But he we, wants uh, to get the Cape Wright crystal so that he can use it as a destructive weapon. He wants to power a laser cannon that will like cause a dis an explosion that will destroy the planet. Like this guy's got a science-y mind. Like yeah. despite his crazy, he, he knew how to operate that fucking oscillatron. Now he's wanting to use a laser cannon. Like yes. instead of just killing humans, he wants to like use their technology to get them, which shows a weird undercurrent of understanding for me. Like I want to kill them in the way they killed my people. He does. Uh, isn't a that fascinating? Is so important. It's so important to him that it's a doomsday weapon, something that will destroy the entire planet. And yeah, it's 
it is a nice parallel. Also, it's a little bit of sympathy for me because like Gortok, I could not reinvent any of the mechanics or electronics that I use, but I do like to use them and I know how. Juggernaut just wants to smash whatever's in front of him. Gortok wants to obtain a human-built uh, nuclear device uh, mm. and, and kill his kill these people in the way his were killed. When I was reading the appearances consecutively, that's one of the things that I was like, fascinating. Like, there's something, I want to do something with that. He doesn't seem to care about his own strength because it's natural for him. Like, he's, yes, he's altered by the, the radiation, but as we'll learn later, Gortokians are already a lot stronger than uh, surface humans. And for, to him, it seems like it seems like he doesn't even think about his strength. His strength is something that he only, his physical strength is something that he only really uses when he has to defend himself while guarding the machine that he hopes will blow up the earth when the superheroes inevitably come to stop him. He only ever uses his brute strength in defense of himself and the machine. While he is surprised to be battling a female superhero, he does not pull any punches. He will smash her into the ground, just like he would smash Beast or Cyclops into the ground. Get out of my fucking way, I will smash you. And he's savage with Miss Marvel, who's like a little bit overwhelmed. He chokes her, he like buries her in a machine like that smashes on top of her. Uh, like he's a, he's a pretty significant threat for her, which is amazing. He uh, does her a genuine defeat. Yeah, yeah. She's like yeah. smashed into the ground after their first fight. It's it's kind of crazy. Uh, what did you like about this fight? Um, this fight was interesting because it was a lot more brutal and a lot more physical than the previous battle. He didn't rely as much on the harness studs. He relied a lot more on like punching, choking and kicking, um, which I, I mean, I'm not going to draw parallels and say that those specifically because Ms. Marvel is a woman. He does refrain from using a lot of the more sexist language that Claremont likes to have villains throw at his female protagonists. So I don't think that was the intention here, but it does seem like he's getting more comfortable with just brawling with superheroes at this point. Like he's been through this before. He knows that he's going to actually have to fight somebody and not just push a button. Get out of my fucking way or I will smash you. Like that's, yeah. that's the message. Uh, he, uh, he leaves her like buried and then takes the crystal to the laser cannon and she attacks him again and he fucking tries to drown her. And yeah, that of, is frightening. Out of all of, out of, out of everything we're about to cover, that's the moment for him where I'm like, fuck this guy. He holds her underwater in a shallow part of the ocean. The yeah. ocean? Yeah. And like, it's just, it's so crazy because he's half out of the water, his hands are under and Captain Marvel cannot get up to breathe. So her only option at that point is just to like play dead. He's scary. He's really mm -hmm. scary. But of course she defeats him. She like, it's the, it's the, we don't need to go into all the details. She gets a dimensional portal to open and like the laser cannon explodes into that dimension instead of destroying our planet, which maybe there's a story somewhere. Like some race got destroyed by Ms. Marvel in another dimension because she, <laughs> she just shot the laser cannon. But uh, when the smoke clears, like grotesque is just gone. Like he, he retreats. That's he, the story. That's the story you need to write because it is never explained how Gortak gets back from that dimension. I, did you get the impression he was in that dimension? I, I felt it was like, could be that way, but maybe he just ran away. I, I, I feel like it's heavily implied that he was sucked into whatever portal it was. And then the next time he shows up, it's just like he's back. But I mean, Juggernaut has also done that a couple of times, but like, I would love to think that he just ran away in the confusion, but there it wasn't the sense I really got from it. Yeah, I feel like uh, I feel like that story would only matter. Nobody cares how he got back from that dimension if he did. That story would only matter if he becomes a sympathetic character, and then mm -hmm. people start caring about his history. Uh, I was going to save this till the end, but let me let me do this now. If I was to write this character ever, I feel like the format would. I mean, he could be a villain used and give a ton of backstory. Just you can use him in a juggernaut like role where he's a bad guy, but that you take time to make you care about him. But I think it would be even funner to have him as the strong guy in a team book that's like Hellions or Suicide, Suicide Squad style. They're, they're completing the missions nobody else can. And he's got his own like secret agenda because nobody knows what to look for with him. Uh, he's a slow burn and then he ends up being the threat they have to defeat. I just gave my whole pitch. But uh, like I think he could really work in that type of format. You care about him through some sort of uh, younger, more sympathetic character. Uh, you know, it's, he's he's got to have someone like the Jubilee is to Wolverine. Like, there's got to be yeah. someone for him to play off of that sees like a better side of him. I don't know who that would be. 
Uh, maybe it's the toad. Well, who knows? But uh, I feel like there's a really lovely story to be told there. Yeah, I completely agree. As to who that character could be, my mind immediately jumped to Armor because she's somebody that he could not hurt. Um, Fascinating. I don't think Armor but, would take his shit. <laughs> yeah, I think I think she would wreck him. Um, it's funny you you say that you would like to see him on a team book. I would love to read that. Um, the immediate thing I think of when I think of like a sympathetic Gork talk is something more akin to Archon. I feel like he could so easily be an Archon type character where he's sometimes an ally, but always a threat when he needs to be. He's the ruler of some other place, whether it's subterranean or other dimensional. He's got that strange inner nobility, that warlike sensibility, the sense that he could be a threat if he needed to be, but he could also be an ally. He's not somebody who's necessarily just a pardon the term deranged you know villain archon to me is like what if testosterone were a person yeah i don't like archon but the role that he fulfills is one that is never strictly a villain even though he should be a villain because he's, he's always trying to save his planet's energy resources right he's a interesting yes. guy uh but yeah he just it's what if testosterone were a person that's what comes to my mind when i think of. i really i really don't like him he should just have always been thundra <laughs> Uh, Steve tell us uh tell us about the uh subterranean wars this is a story that ran through like a summer of annuals it was uh the ones we were covering for Gortok are like Avengers Annual 20 West Coast Avengers Annual 6 uh Roy Thomas is writing uh tell us a little bit about what happens in the subterranean wars Roy the boy is back and he's got second out of third try on this character and it's it it faints at being a different kind of story, which to me was really interesting. And ultimately I was a little bit disappointed by the end of it because of how it turned out. But Gortok has come to become the ruler of the Lava Men who through an extensive backstory included at the end of this annual, which I was delighted to read because it had a lot of weird lore for the rest of the Marvel universe at the time as well, including the Eternal Celestials and Deviants. At the time, he had become the ruler of the Lava Men, who it turns out are actually Gortakians, or related to Gortakians, who are all descended from human slaves of the Deviants from a million years ago. Uh, a nice and interesting lore backstory, actually. It really fleshes out the Moloids and the Tyranoids as well. Um, I get to learn a lot about the human origins through the deviant technology of all of these subterranean races, but and essentially, I, I mean, just uh, this will be like a 10 second pause. The Celestials came to Earth like a bajillion years ago. They created the Eternals and the Deviants. And you're seeing all this play out in X-Men Judgment Day right now, like those stories being told, which is lovely, written by Kieran Gillen, who we love. But the Deviants basically are the template through some like celestial bodily fluids, if you're reading the new Jason Aaron Avengers, uh, they like resulted in a bunch of like mutated branch offs over time. So mutants descended subterraneans and Atlanteans and inhumans, and there's all these different races. The Marvel mythos like goes all the way back to like these elder gods and all this crazy shit. But yeah, that's kind of what we're referencing here when they descend from deviants. Yes. Yeah. The deviants being like a sister race to proto-humanity. They've right. been evolved from creatures who later evolved, hominids. I don't know why I said creatures. Hominids that later evolved into us. And if, um, yeah, if you're reading Judgment Day, you're going to learn a lot about these guys because they're connected to Thanos. Like it's it's crazy. Uh, Kieran Gillen's doing great stuff with them right now. Yeah. And very likely a lot of the stuff I'm about to say or have said is going to be retconned out because a lot has been changed. <laughs> um, this, is the, this is the previous history of these people. Um, but yes, the Lava Men are an offshoot of the Gortakians who were changed by a fire demon. It's not a big deal. Um, His name is Chasadra. Thank you. I was really <laughs> trying to figure out what that name was. I could not remember it. Chasadra. Um, and Gortak, needing a people to rule, has gone and found the remaining Lava Men who are underground and been like, hello, it's me. I used to rule you people. And they were like, oh yeah, we remember that. And they've all, so, got, they've all got like weird gold skin, which ties into an Avengers story, blah, blah, blah. You'll, you can look that up on your own time. Yeah, there's like, uh, there, there's a whole bunch of changes to the Lava Men around this time, which I had to catch up on really quick. Um, didn't matter because Gortok has just found another people to rule. And because the 
Gortakians, the Lava Men, the Moloids, and the Tyranoids, all these subterranean peoples who've worked for the Mole Man and Tyrannus and various people in the past, have been created and maintained using deviant technology. The deviants are having their own little armor wars underground, where they are very furious about their proprietary designs being used by other people, and they're going back to get their intellectual property. It's like a subterranean civil war from all these different races that are now forced to ally together. It's it's a good story and concept. It's fun. It is a good story and concept. Uh, some of the execution is a little confusing and some of it is a little unsatisfying, but the idea is there and it's very cool. And so these subterranean races eventually all ally under three leaders, the Mole Man, Gortak, uh, Grotesque, and Tyrannus, who doesn't matter and is like a Roman immortal who sought the fountain of youth and now lives underground because Merlin sent him there. And also wears the gayest costume of all time. The absolute gayest costume. <laughs> I actually like, he has three different gay costumes. He's got his regular gay costume, the one that he was when he was in Rome and his super villain gay costume, and then his large cloak to cover his age, which as we all know is a very gay costume. Yeah, so in the gay community, Tyrannus would be the like Botox obsessed guy who's like doing cocaine. He's like 30 and like feels like he's age to age 70 and he's super hot, but super self-involved. And you're like, mm, you look real pretty in that costume, but I don't think I should mess with that. That's that guy yeah yeah he gives off all sorts of red flags all sorts of them not the least of which is being obsessed with the roman empire <laughs> so so all of these all of these classic x-men avengers thor villains are coming to the surface and the avengers the avengers at the time who are a bunch of d-listers who are really interesting to me some of my very favorite lineups of the avengers at this time actually uh i'll run into them and of course assume that it's another invasion but it's not it's actually them running away from the deviants who have been attacking and defeating most of their armies underground. And this leads into subterranean wars in which the Avengers sort of have to ally with these former enemies to protect them and their people from the deviants who I guess just always got a really poor shake at the time. There's one like amazing moment when they're meeting the Avengers, when the character Rage, who's all sorts of problems, he's the, he's the big like, he's the big black guy from the new warriors who joins the Avengers for a minute, but he's like really a 13 year old kid. Anyway, he calls grotesque ugly and grotesque is like, fuck you. And like smacks him across the room. Which yeah. Is, which is he amazing. He really doesn't like that. I don't know why he had to hit rage of all people, but he did. Well, rage is the one that insulted him. Bitch. I know, but like he's called him grotesque. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, I like that. Uh, so there's like a big giant battle that runs through a whole bunch of things, but Grotesque kind of ends up being the final boss that they have to fight because he turns against his allies, uh, uses the like oscillatron that, that comes from the deviants, and he's again trying to destroy the surface world. First chance he gets. So he's allied, he's like surviving, he's got like people serving him again, but like when he sees the weapon that can destroy the planet, he's like, mm, no, we got to do that instead. Uh, and that, uh, frankly, that broke my heart because yeah, very early, so very early in this in this series of comics, in the very first one, Avengers Annual number twenty, um, he runs into a lot of former enemies, and they ask, like, "Don't you want to destroy the Earth?" And he says, "No." He very clear-headedly, calmly, and lucidly says, "Like, I have had many, many years to contemplate. I mean, it's been since like 1977, and it's 1991 now." He's had very many years to contemplate revenge and the possibilities of it. And he's decided that like, he doesn't want it anymore. He's changed his mind. He's calmed down. He's happy being a ruler and content. And reading this, I was like, oh, wow, we're going to get like a really interesting shift for him. Maybe he's going to want something other than the destruction of the earth and himself. Maybe he'll still be vengeful, but maybe he's no longer suicidal. He has a fresh start, he has a new race, a uh, new place to call home. And, yeah. there's, and there's a hubris to this because it's the story of the addict that's given the opportunity to be better. And then the second the drug is available, they crash. Yeah, it's it was the, tragic. It's, it's reverting to his old behavior pattern. Uh, and and he it does. It seemed like it's not told in a way that's very sympathetic toward him. And it's, no. it's, it's a convoluted story anyway. But that story arc of having the fresh start and giving it up in a revenge uh, revenge plot is is uh is heartbreaking a little bit but he they sound they soundly defeat him like the the living lightning uh the, our queer ally or our queer friend that we love uh shorts out the whole device and and he's defeated kind of abruptly uh yeah. 
I'm sad about where they leave him at the end of this story. And like, he hasn't shown up in like, I don't know, 17 years or something. <laughs> like, this is the story that we get. I was, I was very sad about that too. It has been a really long time since he comes in and Roy Thomas brought him in and made moves towards doing something different and unique with Gortok and kind of moving him out of the past. But unfortunately the story, whether it's because of editorial, whether it was Roy Thomas's plan all along, whether because Scott Lobdell was involved with writing this arc, um, it does end up just reverting to the same thing at the end, which is, which is tragic, as you said, from an addict's perspective. But it also sometimes feels like the story wants us to think he was lying the whole time, which I think right. is a much less interesting take. And so I've kind of I've kind of ignored that. I don't think that's a good read. I'm lying, story. biding my time until I can kill the humans is another yeah. reason of that. Yeah, I feel like if it was spread out and the story was told in such a way that made you care about this character, it's a pretty tragic end. But ultimately, yeah. he's just a villain that gets smashed again, right? Like there's there's very little depth given to him unless you look for it uh but don't worry uh listeners uh dear readers because Roy Thomas is not done with grotesque yet he hilariously he brings him back in 1994 <laughs> in Thor number 481 like did you know Roy Thomas wrote Thor in the 90s now you do did you uh, know Roy Thomas wrote X-Men in the 1960s and Thor in the 90s? <laughs> Roy the boy. Well, Roy was also writing with uh, with his wife, Dan Thomas. They were writing West Coast Avengers. They were writing, I mean, they were kind of all over the place, even in the 90s. And Roy was in his like late 50s at the time. But uh, by the way, as we record this, we just got X-Men Legends Volume 2, number one that came out this week, written by Roy Thomas. And it's actually really lovely. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Um, Anyway, uh, Roy Thomas brings Grotesque back in Thor. Uh, this time, like in the subterranean wars, he was kind of like lean and a little bit sexy. <laughs> this time he comes back like massively steroid muscles. Yeah, he's a chunk. Big old like purple briefs. Uh, he has gone back to the lava men uh, and like he again wants to like destroy the planet. And so he again long story the lava men have been through some shit we'll talk about them sometime but they've lost they said the they've been through some shit in this issue too <laughs> they were like out loud we're like hey grotesque we've been through some shit with the avengers you should probably listen to us he gives uh he gives them their ability to speak back again and i seriously one of these patrons i'll do an episode on the lava men that would actually be really uh, that'd be really cool uh but he wants to manifest something called the living rock which is like an artifact that can cause earthquakes. So he's again, obsessed with destroying humans in the way that his people were destroyed. He doesn't want anything but giant fucking earthquakes that will tear them to shreds with atomic energy. Like that's what this guy is after. Um, anyway, so Thor and Donald Blake, uh, he figures out that they're connected. I don't know why he really needs Thor here. That was a part of the story that eluded me, but he's like, yeah. oh, I must attack Thor. And I don't know, if, I don't I don't understand. He probably could have gone away with this without that. Uh, but he lures Thor into a trap. Uh, I don't know, maybe he just wanted a challenge. Maybe he just wanted someone to fight and smash or to give them the chance to stop him because he feels shitty on a subconscious level. Maybe those are the reasons he brought Thor down there. Um, he gets a giant like fucking war club that was like once his his people's scepter for royalty, which is that's that's a nice piece of this story, mm. like his connection to the past, like being the weapon that he's now using to fight Thor. Uh, anyway, he like keeps Don Blake captive. Thor's allies, the God Pack, uh, as Connor Goldsmith says on his podcast often, don't worry about it. These are dudes with terrible names like like Loga and Blitziana. They were like, the high evolutionary tried to change some humans into gods and the god pack came out of it. Blech. I love are, continuity, I love obscure, but blah, like fuck you god pack. These are young blood if they were also the god squad. It's, <laughs> it's really crazy. They're terrible characters. Uh, anyway, they destroy the living rock and they rescue Donald Blake and like they explode and Gortok, they're, they're like, oh no, he's dead again, bye. Uh, tell me about your thoughts on this story. Uh, it's interesting. You you did say there seems to be no reason why he involves Thor, and there isn't. I read this issue three times in a row because I was trying to figure it out. Like, did I miss something? I went combing through the Marvel database trying to figure out when they had met Thor before. I know the Lava Men had. It, it doesn't seem like it makes any sense. Why does he need to kidnap Blake? He later says in the issue that he didn't need to kidnap Blake. 
that he doesn't know why he did it. He's confused about it himself. I don't know. This, this issue retreads a lot of what happens in the previous grotesque appearances in terms of like the basic structure of the story, the plot, the motivation. It, I like that it introduces the war club, not only because it has a connection to his ancestral people, but because it provides a little bit of like a, a weapon foil to Mjolnir. Yeah. You know, it makes a little more sense why he's fighting Thor, even though he doesn't use it as much as he should in this issue. Um, this one was probably my least favorite appearance of Gortok mm -hmm. that we covered. And the best part about this issue for me was honestly the title, because because Roy Thomas went out of his way to say the living stone, I presume. I don't think it's I got a good that. job. That's fantastic. That's I do. Good. I've got to interview Roy. I uh, spent an hour with him. His mind, even now in his 80s, he is like, it's a steel trap. He remembers mm -hmm. everyone he's ever created and when he's amazing. Uh, and so I love that he'll bring back obscure characters. In the X Men Legends uh, issue I just referenced, he fucking brought back uh, the, the Jack of Diamonds. Uh, no way. Like the guy who like was mean to teenage Cyclops, who's never been around. And like now he's back at this issue. It's amazing. Uh, so I like that he pulled grotesque into this story, but all we needed was like Thor to sense the living rock with his hammer. And then that's why they fought because Thor went to investigate. Uh, you know what's, you know what's part of I just, I just realized, I just made the connection. Part of it is that Gortok like explains towards the end of the issue that the living stone is causing electrical storms above. And the very first page shows Thor flying through a storm and the narration asks like, is the storm here because Thor is here or is Thor just at home in the storm? What a dumb question to ask. It says something very similar to that. And I, I, it actually uses the word dumb, which I thought was very funny. And I'm starting to think that that is the actual motivating factor is that there are lightning storms involved with the weapon. The sole thing I like from this story primarily is again, he's still focused on revenge. He has worshipers again but he just wants revenge anyway. Uh, and then I do like the use of the war club being like his scepter when he was, uh, that shows like a connection. He's like using uh, the the symbols of his people to try to achieve um, that, that part I liked. I thought it was interesting. It's uh, like then, a justice thing for him, yeah, you know, yeah. like a poetic justice. And then he's gone forever. Just kidding. 15 years later, he makes one more appearance in 2009 in X-Men Manifest Destiny, like the Nightcrawler story. Uh, yeah. Tell us what happens in this story, Steve. Well, I mean, this story is otherwise a good one because it explores like Nightcrawler's origins and like the thematic importance of Nightcrawler looking like a demon, but not being a demon. A thing that I don't think the Draco understands in any way or fashion, in fact, actively undermines. But this story does seem to want to point out, you know, that part. Unfortunately, the grotesque story takes place in the bottom two thirds of the last page. Uh, and this is uh, this is written by James Asmus, who uh, has done some comics. He's he's a comedian, like he's a he's like a funny guy who performs and has written uh, some comics uh, all over the place for a while. But uh, it's almost like Gortok's meant to be a joke here. It just he's, he, he is. He's a last page joke that is a joke within a joke, right? He's The first joke is that he's Gortok. Is, the joke is that he's an obscure character who nobody would care about and is easily defeated. And the then second he's forgotten. What? Yes, absolutely, completely forgotten. The second joke is that Nightcrawler pulls off his mystical armor that's encapsulating his body and Cyclops thinks that he's removed his head and is momentarily appalled it's I don't know it's it's awkward it's a little bit of a joke at the expense of a character who has changed so drastically that he's basically not the same character so it feels like why bring grotesque back do you want to so, explain grotesque in this one yeah the story here is uh, it is very like almost off panel but he's dead apparently and yeah. his his followers which I assume is the lava men have mm -hmm. manifested his spirit into some mystical impenetrable armor, which is again, like very juggernauty, right? Very juggernaut. And the design of the armor is cool. I like the, I like what they did with the design itself. I thought that was interesting. Uh, I'm trying to see who did the art here. One sec, I have my notes. Uh, it was, oh, it was uh, Jorge Molina, who's wonderful. Uh, mm -hmm. And I like the design of the armor, but 
they manifest him back in what's supposed to be uh, this impenetrable, powerful armor. And Nightcrawler just teleports in, pulls the helmet off, and he's defeated. He dissipates. Another, on. another very juggernaut thing. Yeah, yeah. You pull the hat off, and there he is. Uh, yeah. But it's almost the joke, right? Like, uh, it's the end of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, oh, oh, this is uh, what Buffy season two or three. They have that, like, super powerful uh, guy, like, demon in the armor. And so Buffy, like, he's like, I will kill you all. And then Buffy fires a bazooka at him and he explodes in like one right. second. It's you can uh, take care of the magic with anything non-magic, even a rock or a sling. Yeah, it's a gag. So Nightcrawler teleports his hat off and he's done. Even though, like, uh, we haven't got him back again. It's a funny bit. You have to admit, it's a little bit. It's a little it's bit. A, it's a funny bit. And I'm not like offended on Gortok's behalf necessarily, but it just, it, I'm left questioning why it is Gortok. Like, why is this grotesque in the first place? Because the armor looks nothing like the character that we've seen before. It does not have, there's there's maybe some slight visual nods to his previous clothing, but nothing really identifiable to me. You can't see his physical form. And like he doesn't even have the same kind of plot or motivation necessarily yeah um, this character this could, could be, be a completely new character this character could be anyone it could be it could be we channeled the spirit of uncle ben into this impenetrable <laughs> armor now that would be a story <laughs> holy shit it could be someone we've never heard of it could have been the changeling it could be anyone they're just summoning a spirit uh but you do, the, the thing that probably stands out if I'm looking for what is redeemable in this story, even though I enjoyed the story, uh, the lava men in this case are still very dedicated to him and like desperate to get him back. Uh, so the loyalty there, because uh, he's been dead for a while. Assume... We didn't even know he was dead until this issue. Yeah, he yeah, did not we, appear to be dead. We assume he died at the end of the Thor thing when the rock exploded or there's some untold adventure uh i like this guy i would enjoy seeing him back and given a little bit of screen time uh my favorite appearance out of all of them was the ms marvel story i thought it was by far his best story which surprise surprise it's claremont um but he has a ton of potential uh any final thoughts on grotesque um i i started out reading this very unsympathetic very unsympathetic because of the whole like inciting incident of go we got to go get some more slaves but over over time this character has become one that i've like really enjoyed it's really interesting maybe the most interesting thing about grotesque is his untapped potential and i completely agree with that i think that you make a very solid point about the tragic origins the consistently sad addict like behavior through subterranean wars which is the most interesting to me. I think the best story is Captain Marvel's story, but I think Subterranean Wars leads into these tantalizing bits that make me want to learn more about this character. And by the time we were done with that, I, I really enjoyed him, which is kind of why I was a little miffed by this, this last Nightcrawler story, which I had read before and had not connected the character with, but. There's a number, uh, there's a number of characters that, I don't know, it's the alien who's trapped on earth, wants to kill humans or, uh, it could be the monster from Monster Island that's misunderstood and killing humans. The fact that in his very first story, they gave this tragic motivation to him. He could be just the monster attacking the surface world, but instead he's the mutated survivor who lost his people because of humans uh, being awful to the environment, which we are always. Uh, yes, something right that will always get me. Right from the beginning, he's very, very sympathetic. Uh, he's got a lot more depth to him than we thought. And he's the guy that killed Professor X. Uh, so that's kind of his claim to fame. I like this guy. Uh, and I love doing these episodes because I can think of these minor characters in, uh, in uh, small ways and big ways at the same time. Uh, because of this, I got a, I'm doing a commission of grotesque right now. There's an artist drawing him from my wall. So I, uh, I'm fond of him. Once I read all these, I'm like, oh, I want him up there. So you can see I'll have grotesque up soon. I spent a lot of this weekend just thinking over and over about like, as I, as I said earlier, the many parallels to Submariner. I mean, this is the Submariner, there's the subhuman, there's the very similar backgrounds, there's the very similar motivations. The thing that always gets me sympathetic is if you're polluting the planet, somebody wants to kill humans for it. I'm on their side, generally speaking. And I kept thinking to myself why people were not so on grotesque side or why he didn't come back so often in the way that Namor did when they're very similar in origin. And I can't help but think that if somebody would just draw a grotesque a little more sexy, 
and give him a little bit more of a supercilious, cold and catty demeanor, how big of a character this guy could be. Because I think that's a lot of the major difference between the two. You get the right artist and the right motivator and uh, suddenly you give a fuck, right? The, yeah. the template for that type of story forever in my brain, although there's many examples of this, is the Thunderbolts where you mm. took characters like fucking Screaming Mimi and the Beatle and song, uh, they become Songbird in Mach 1 and then you fucking love them. I'm um, such a fan of Abner and I never should have been. I've read so many of his Daredevil appearances. I'm like, ah, I don't give a fuck. But then I got to Thunderbolts. So I was like, ah, Moonstone, right? These are examples of taking characters that are lesser known and using everything they have and then building. Uh, mm -hmm. It's a wonderful book. And again, there's a lot of examples of that over the years. The New Warriors is another example of that. All the, all the kid heroes, Nova and Night Thrasher and everyone, and giving them a lot more uh, space to grow. Uh, that's why characters like Firestar become beloved, and then they get to join the X-Men when we vote. <laughs> I'm so desperate to see Silhouette on Krakoa because Silhouette should be on the X-Men. <laughs> Silhouette, in the, if you read her last appearance, uh, her name, her code name is Silhouette, and her real name used to be Silhouette Cord, but she changed her name to Janelle. I'm not joking. Is that in the Marvel Voices? Because I think mm -hmm. I read an issue. Of it's that in one of it's in one of the Voices things, and it's a good story yeah. that you're like, oh, I don't know why that happened, but okay. <laughs> I did like that story a lot. Yeah. Uh, Steve, what a pleasure to hang out with you for an hour, man. I, uh, I really enjoy your company uh, and your brilliant little nerdy brain. And uh, thanks for smiling with me for an hour. This has been a blast. It is genuinely always such a pleasure. And I don't get to hang out with you enough. So I like keep jumping to, at the chance to come back to these because then we get to like just chill for a bit. Well, I will, uh, I will set up another time to have you on the pod soon too. We, uh, we, do we have anything coming up? We had the trials, but the trial. I had to make a change to trial. I'm going to get you back on for an episode uh, uh, in September. I'll, I'll send you some messages. There's some good All stuff. Right. Or we can talk for a minute when we jump offline, if you'd like. Would that be okay? Uh, absolutely. Uh, Steve, where can people find you online? Uh, this episode's coming out next Sunday. Uh, anything you want to plug is great, too. Yeah, um, you can find me on Twitter. I I am at Howdy Duda. That's H-O-W-D-Y-D-U-D-A. H-O-W. D-Y-D-U-D-A. Okay. I was just making sure I spelled that right. I say it every every week, but I also say it every Sunday. And I say it every Sunday because I record on Sundays with X for Podcast. Please tune in and listen. We've got great coverage of Defenders Beyond going on right now that is just starting up. We've got Moon Knight and we are covering Axe Judgment Day. Uh, we're also covering lots of other stuff, but those are the things I do. <laughs> And you're delightful. And I love the pod and uh, have me back on sometime. I would love to come. I really want to have you back on for Defenders Beyond. I'm going to try to work it out. Please make that happen. Uh, and then uh, I'm Chad. You can find Gray Malkin Lane on Gray Malkin PP like podcast on Twitter or Gray Malkin underscore Lane on Instagram. We've got our t-shirt shop coming up. And uh, just a few days before this episode comes out, we're debuting a new Princess Python t-shirt, which is wonderful drawn by Seth Martell. I'm uh, probably going to buy it. I'm just saying now because he told me about it yesterday. I'm like, oh my God. It's really <laughs> It's really great. It's really I great. Love her. I'll show you uh, some images. Uh, it's like an old timey circus tattoo and it's wonderful. <laughs> I'll show you. That's awesome. Uh, and then we, yeah, we've got the Patreon stuff. In our next Patreon episode, we will be doing uh, the character Changeling with my friend, George Michael Duvin. I will likely be high for that episode and we're going to have a lot of fun. Uh, and then uh, upcoming on the pod right after this comes out, we've got, uh, oh, we've got all sorts of stuff. I'll, I'll check my production schedule later. Our next episode is with Clay McLeod Chapman. So, oh yeah, so the, the, the handbook focused episode with Elliot Brown will be coming out right after this one. Uh, so give it a listen. We're having a great time. Uh, all right, everybody, we'll see you back next time. Thanks for supporting us on Patreon. Bye, Steve. Bye, Chad. Uh...